0: What up, what up? Welcome back to the Sneaker History Podcast My name is Nick Engvall and I'm with my guys Mike and Robbie to talk some sneakers How's it going fellas?
1: Man, It's going good, I think I'm just uh, overwhelmed by all the sneakers coming out Don't know what to buy <laughs> How you doing Robbie?
0: I'm doing good too
2: um, I'm kind of in the same boat I, I, I give myself, I try to adhere strictly to a $300 a month <laughs> limit on shoes So it's like, this isn't a mess that up pretty bad. But uh
0: yeah. All All Star weekend is definitely uh puts a dent in the uh the old planning spending calendar.
2: We say that so optimistically, but we all know <laughs> we any of that crap on sneakers, it's not going to like, you know, it's going to uh, decisions will be made for us. Let's put it that way.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. So we're going to talk, I guess, a little bit about some of the releases that are coming this weekend, but also got some some interesting news topics to to jump into tonight. But before we get to that, normally we would shout out a review on, on iTunes, but we don't have any new reviews. So if you got a chance, take a minute, head over to iTunes, leave us a review, leave us some feedback, positive, negative, whatever, um, any ways we can make the podcast better for you guys. That's what we're trying to do. So. Uh, we would definitely appreciate you taking the time to to share that feedback with us. <laughs> Please. <laughs> so I- i've been I've been kind of wanting to talk about this for a little while. Uh, the, the first topic we want to get into is uh, the coronavirus, and I- I've been curious about this since since you know it started kind of bumping up. In numbers and becoming something that was much bigger than I think anybody anticipated. But um, according to this article from Footwear News, uh, they say that Nike, Adidas, Burberry, and uh, places like Skechers and Vans are all closing stores uh, in China due to the coronavirus. I'll, I'll, I'll get into my pessimism after after we talk through this. I, I'll, I'll, I'll let us get into some uh, some. I have some about it if I can throw that alright yeah let's, let's hear it
2: anybody when they see the coronavirus it's typically like in one word do you see the word coronasaurus like a beer bottle dinosaur oh
1: okay
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't but I did see that corona beer had like a crazy dip in sales because people thought it was cor- corona beer based virus uh,
1: that is ridiculous
2: well, there, there are urban myths of people peeing in Corona at the factories. So, you mean, know,
1: it doesn't taste good to begin with. Corona's rough, but. Agreed. <laughs> but it's crazy.
0: Oh, man. See, I'm a. see, I, I, I'm a. I mean, I don't want to say I'm like a crazy Corona fan, but I'm definitely not anti Corona in any way. It's, you I are. It's like, uh, <laughs> you
1: got to pick a side. Dos Equis yeah. or Corona and I'm, I'm definitely on a Dos Equis
0: side. I mean, yeah, I don't know if I would, if I would go with Dos Equis over a Corona, a Corona with lime to me is a pretty refreshing beer. So, I mean, it also might be a little nostalgic, you know, I'm, I'm old. So, you know, like when Fast and Furious came out in like whatever, 2001, they were basically talking about me and my bros. Right. So, um, <laughs> They're like, you can have any beer you want as long as it's Corona. That was, that was pretty much, you know, Iconic. The, the default cheap beer, uh, working on cars all the time. So, you know, uh, I mean, I wasn't stealing shit like that. But, <laughs>
1: yeah. He had a Civic uh, players.
2: Do you still live life a quarter mile at a time? <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> it's it's funny uh one of those memes showed up on my on my Instagram feed uh, like a few months back and I actually sent it to my two brothers cuz it's something like it's something like that like you know we're brothers because we because we both live life a quarter mile at a time or something like that. Uh, but yeah. Uh it, but back on topic, this coronavirus thing is is pretty serious and I, I don't want to dismiss the the serious nature of it. I do think that, you know, people closing stores is a testament to how serious it really is, right? Um, there's been a lot of stuff that's come out and uh, re- recently, you know, the, the kind of first doctor that discovered it just did a interview with the New York Times and he ended up passing away a few days ago and... Um, I'll put a link to that in the description. I know it's not not sneaker related, but it was really interesting because he he called out that this was happening. Uh, I want to say like, you know, quite some time ago, well before it was a big deal and it was dismissed by the police and and the government and you know, now it's it's a big deal, obviously and and him passing is pretty significant in that whole storyline to me. But I think that it's really interesting to, if you if you look at where some of these locations are, we don't have the massive cities that China does, right? So um, I forget the the name of the particular city that it broke out in, but... Um, Wuhan. Wuhan, yeah, yeah. And and basically that's like, what, 11, 12 million people, I think, which, I mean, that's bigger than most American cities. So... I, The, the last thing that I read right before this story from footwear news came out um, was that one person per household was allowed to go out every two days to get food. Otherwise everybody needed to be inside. And I can't imagine, you know, what that does to a city. I think like this story is really interesting because a lot of the stores that are closing, just have zero reason to be open during this time until things get, you know, wrangled up and and straightened out basically. But it's so
2: it's funny you say they have no reason to be open. Like Nike is closed many stores, but others and not just Nike, just about every store affected by this is having limited hours still. So, I mean, that is shows that the American retail mindset knows no limits. Cause like, I know Mike's been in this boat too. You can have one person walking through that door like in five hours and you're going to stay open because you're going to sell that one thing maybe. So it's just nuts that they still have even partial openings going on.
1: Yeah, dude. And it's really crazy just to hear. could actually, like, not only the news, but I have a buddy who's there like firsthand kind of experiencing it because he teaches at a, uh, a private school out there. And I, one of my good friends I went to went to college with, and, and you know we communicate pretty often, and he was telling me, yeah, he's like anything you see in the news is probably like half the story. He's like it's ten times worse, and actually he he lives in uh, in Shanghai, and he had to uh, basically the whole school he worked at shut down. Uh, I think they pretty much are evacuating everybody at this point. It's nuts to just hear like what's going on from someone who's actually like living it and. It's insane, man. He's like, yeah, like, stores are shutting down. Um, And basically, they're just displaced until they can figure out what the heck's going on.
2: That's a million percent true. Because I even have a friend in Korea, and, like, they're pretty, um, I'll I'll say spooked, maybe a good way of saying it, or worried. Um, And it's, like, a million times worse than... And this is going into like Chinese censorship, which we're probably not going to dip into too hard, but just the power of um, a government controlled media and how they can control the bottleneck and the flow of information like no other. So yeah, take it with a grain of salt and think the worst.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And and my pessimism that I was referring to earlier is I started digging into kind of just how many people, you know, uh, die from other things. And I think the latest toll was over 600 people have have died from this, right? And
1: 811 as of this morning when I was watching the news.
0: Gotcha. And and I want to say it was in the thirty to 40,000 infected range. Um, And obviously people from many different countries have passed away from it not to discount that. And, and I, you know, to your guys's point, you know, we might even maybe know half the story in that regard because of it being such a, you know, controlled, uh, news environment over there in China. But I was thinking about like how, you know, like the flu or car accidents, gun violence, all these other things that, that, you know, kill people. It's kind of wild, like how the world is reacting to this. You know, granted, it it can spread pretty rapidly if it's not contained to to a pretty strict uh, level. But, um, you know, I think I think the stat that I came across was, you know, just under like 40,000 people died from gun violence in America in 2018. And it's crazy to me the way we prioritize things, because where, like, I, I don't want to make this about gun violence, because I don't, like, I don't think that people shouldn't uh, have guns. I think that, you know, there's certain people that, you know, like, my family is very much, like, hunting all the time. They, you know, use every bit of the animal that they kill. It's not my cup of tea, but it's something that our family has done for a very long time, and, you know, obviously, you could go in many different directions in that conversation, but Thinking about that, you know, I I, I just am am surprised at how little, how big of a deal this is when it's a very minimal amount of people, you know, considering like, you know, just in Wuhan in general, like saying that there's 11 to 12 million people there and, you know, maybe 30,000 people infected or or not even that, right? Because 30,000, the 30 to 35,000 range was, was globally. So it's such a such a small percentage, but um, it's just something to think about in the way that our news is presented to us and where you're getting your news. And, and you know, hopefully everybody listening is listening, is taking the time to seek out different people, you know, sharing information, because there's a lot of ways that we can get the truth. And there's a lot of ways that we can get scammed out of a lot of things. So.
1: Oh, yeah. I give you like I pull up my nerdy side right now because every, everyone knows that I'm a big comic book fan and the best quote I can think about is from uh, Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight the Joker's talking about you know if a truck of soldier blows up no one freaks out because it's part of the plan but if something random happens they freak out because they weren't expecting it and I think that's probably a prime example of that it was something we couldn't control and we didn't you know, we didn't listen, and now it's not part of the you know the everyday life. Like we're used to the flu, we're used to gun violence, we're used to all these things. But this is something new, and it's it's scary because it's new to us.
2: I just the second you said Batman, I just thought, yeah, every other quote that's irrelevant to what you just said.
1: <laughs> you went on a whole different path.
2: But you brought up a good point. Like that's yeah, it's it's even scarier. I, mean, I don't want to say scary or cr- creepy or trippy, whatever you want to say about it is Netflix. The past couple months has had so many documentaries about epidemics and stuff. And it's like, Oh, well here's one for you. So.
0: Yeah. I, I, I think that it's, I think that it's fascinating. You know, I don't, I don't, I, it's funny. Cause when you said that about Batman, the f- quote that came to, to my head was, um, I think it's, it's, you know, I think Alfred says it in one of the one of the Batman movies where he's basically like, you know, sometimes people just do things because it causes the chaos and there is no reason for their purpose. Right. And and all those things that I think, you know, in a way that that shape our view on the world is very fascinating to me. And. I, I, like Robbie, have seen, I haven't watched any of these documentaries on Netflix, but they've been popping up a lot. And, you know, in the sneaker world, we see very similar things going on, like with with algorithms, right? So if if the hot topic today is the coronavirus and Netflix can crank up the, you know, fear factor on a bunch of their trending shows, they're going to get more views and the same things happen in the sneaker world and you know it's like uh, that's why you you see you know on youtube or on you know instagram or twitter or wherever a lot of the mainstream kind of sneaker content that goes out there is all the same you know there's not too many people talking about the kind of off not, not off topic but just like that second and third tier news Because they know that if they talk about an Off-White release or a Travis Scott release, they're going to get views on that compared to, you know, like, uh, you know, a new Asics Runner collab or some New Balance or something like that. So I think that it's really interesting to watch this whole kind of epidemic happen and the way that it's being covered by the media. And it's... um, of not sneaker related but if you ever are looking for a good book um the tipping point by malcolm gladwell is a really good book to read on kind of understanding how things go from like you know uh, a trending topic to like you know uh, uh you know it's like heating up to on fire in the nba jam world right but, like, the, that book is one of those books that um, very, puts a lot of perspective into, like, what that can actually mean for, you know, both, like, things like viruses or violence in, you know, in, in New York City in the, in the 80s. Um, you know, he talks some about um, hush puppies and how they became, you know, like, so popular. I would imagine that if he rewrote it again, you could look, look at shoes, like, doc martin's this last year or um the phila's last year you know like there's certain things that just happen and uh that like you know to use his term the tipping point effect of them becoming like you know take going from like just a a kind of small cultural environment like sneakers to like a mainstream everyone's paying attention to off-white releases now or Jordan one releases or Jordan 11 releases is a really fascinating, um, fascinating topic. And he does a really good job of kind of telling those stories and, and visiting those stories throughout the years that have kind of created these, um, repeatable patterns when it comes to, you know, trends and, and whatnot. So, um, but yeah, anyway, <laughs> it's totally <laughs> off topic, but um, I think it's, I think it's a good one. It's, it's really relevant. I, I was kind of curious to see if I could find any other announcements in in terms of the stores shutting down because like basically it, it, on this article on Footwear News it says that roughly half of Nike stores in China are temporarily being closed. Uh, I think Adidas said a considerable number. Um, stores like Michael Kors, Versace, Jimmy Choo, over half of their stores are closed. And obviously from the footwear news perspective, like all of these are, you know, about revenue and will they hit revenue and that kind of thing. And I think my last kind of soapbox commentary on this whole subject is. I wish that, that we as society or as America specifically, had the wherewithal to say, like, hey, we need to just put a pause on this because there's more important things going than, you know, the price of stock for this next month or three months or whatever it's going to take. Because I really think, like, you know, you see a lot of challenges with businesses that are run through the stock market and driven by shareholders and that, you know, whether that's a dividend or the share price that they're trying to drive up, I don't think that it's always... The, the, the right choices for the business and the right choices for the people involved in the business or the consumers are made when you're not, when you're driven by a stock price. So that's it. <laughs> I guess maybe we, we hop into a less serious topic. Mike, you wanna, you wanna lead us into this one since you, you uh, pulled this one?
1: Yeah, so there's another Fear of God one coming out, uh, looks like over All-Star Weekend if I'm not mistaken. Um, from what Robbie said, it looks like it may just be exclusively released in Chicago as of now, but we're not hundred percent sure, but that's not the crazy part. All of the advertisement he's been putting out all of the social media posts, he said that he based the colorway off Allen Iverson's sneaker with the toe box being a different color. Now he said it's based off the question that the contract between the toe box and the shoe, but then he has pictures of the answer for, but that, uh, uh, that's a whole different story. But um, it's crazy to me that all his advertisement has Iverson in it wearing Reeboks. He's recreating old pictures, and he's selling to Nike, but he's having pictures of AI in the Reebok, which I'm, I'm not sure how he got away with it, because Nike's not known to really play well with others, especially when they're trying to sell a shoe. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I like Jerry Lorenzo's like, product. I think he does a great job, and... I've actually followed a lot of his, uh, like his, his different uh, interviews and stuff. I think he seems like a pretty solid dude in what he does, but I just want to know what you guys think on how how he got away with this one.
2: So, I think all of the Reebok and Adidas side by side stuff is just on like his page. Like, there's there's not going to be anything other than Nike selling Nike or. Concerned with Nike
1: Oh for sure but I mean don't you think His contract is like hey I don't want to see you Anywhere near you know another shoe
2: No I mean bitch, you can't wear it But just To tell the story And show I mean like showing instead of telling It's kind of like one of the best Storytelling you know uh, rule um, Rules of thumb To follow So I get it I don't see a problem with it at all honestly um, and it helps having like gary land on there cuz he's best known for being like iverson's photographer he did the iverson book i believe nick right he did like the iverson he did a whole book on him so it's like bringing him in wraps everything together as to why so without him or without having the photos of iverson it wouldn't make any sense other than, oh, this just looks cool. It might look familiar to other people. But um, I don't think he's, he's uh, being forced so much to where he can't even, like, show a Reebok thing. So I know, like, when Iverson retired, Nike didn't do anything for him. But Nike athletes and everybody posted Reebok stuff because he was always in Reebok. So, kind you have to. It's, like, unavoidable. So...
0: I think it's really interesting though, because Nike would never obviously allow this to happen normally. And I think that, um, you know, it just goes to show how important Allen Iverson really was. And, you know, obviously if you have followed me or listened to this for a while, you know, like he's by far my favorite athlete, one of my favorite, just, you know, human beings in general. A huge collector of everything he's done and been a part of. But I think that his influence was so substantial throughout the 90s and 2000s because if you look at the other side of the coin at that time, you had Michael Jordan, who is so polished and, you know, still to this day doesn't speak up. And that's nothing against MJ. I mean, why mess with you know, the good thing you've got going. I totally understand that perspective, but I also really admire, you know, Allen Iverson taking the opposite approach and kind of always being outspoken and always, you know, fighting battles for, you know, the, the, the um, you know, the, the kind of common folk worker, you know, blue collar worker type that I think he really represented because he wasn't, he wasn't an anomaly. He wasn't he's supposed to be, you know, this s- successful basketball player, he was barely six foot and, you know, he, it just was, you know, like he battled so many different things and that came out in, in who he was on and off the court. I think it, as far as, you know, Jerry Lorenzo, Jerry Lorenzo paying tribute to him and, and working with Gary land, he's doing it in a very tasteful way. And it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you know, we can only go so long with the stories from Nike that don't include the rest of the world of f- footwear, the rest of the world of sports. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I think that, you know, Nike has the best storytelling, like hands down. They have always been the best at, at marketing their product, at inspiring people, at connecting to aspiring artists and creatives and athletes and entertainers. But it's not to say that, You know, when, let's say, you know, if we use Reebok as an example, when Reebok came at them with the pump ads, it, it was a big deal, you know, like Reebok was outselling Nike at that, at that time or very close to it. And they went back and forth for a number of years. And I think that's a part of, that's an important part of the story. You know, whether they would agree that, that this needed to be done in this way yeah, I could I could see them being totally against it, but I also think we're we're getting to the point where the further these, you know, kind of high-level creatives go into the business of of Nike, the less people can push back because these guys drive so much attention and so much, you know, energy around the products that they're creating that you know, why 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 try to stop it, right? Like why not just embrace that hey, Jerry knows his customers better than Nike knows his customers. And this is something that I always ran into to headaches with when I would work for like Finish Line or even doing stuff for, you know, Foot Locker and East Bay over the years where Nike's very controlling about the messaging that they put out there and, and they want every retailer and partner that they work with to align with their message. But Nike doesn't sell to the kid in the store the way that a finish line has to sell to the kid in the store or foot Locker or champs or, you know, foot action, like those stores that are in, in the mall are very much like right now. Um, very like, you know, they have to be kind of closing those sales at every given moment. And they have to be way more about real life. When, if you look at like a Nike ad, or Nike creative of any kind, that can be very aspirational. You can say like, you know, you're gonna grow up to be LeBron one day. You're gonna grow up to be Kobe one day. You're gonna grow up to be MJ one day. And that's great because that puts in my mind as a kid that, hey, look, I'm growing up to be like my heroes. But in the mall, you're not thinking about like being that hero. You've gotta be thinking about, hey, this is a, this yeah, like it's a tiny subset of what you're thinking about. But really you're thinking about how do I look fresh going to school tomorrow or how do I look fresh going to work tomorrow or whatever that is how do I stand out from the other mall employees this week and that's what that's what the difference between like a Nike you know kind of storyline and what a retail storyline is and I think that as these as these areas become more gray people like Jerry Lorenzo, Virgil, some of these like very like, you know, very like creative, but like push the envelope type people are going to eventually break down some of those walls that exist at Nike in order to open up those conversations or even like these things. Because at the end of the day, if Jerry Lorenzo comes out and tries to tell a story that's not authentic to him and not about Iverson and the way that those pants are unbuttoned to show Iverson's tattoo on his leg and Gary Lynn captured the photo if he's trying to tell that same story without the actual photos and the actual visuals that inspired him, it's going to come across that way. And then he loses his legitimacy in all of this stuff that he's put in so many years of work to get to. So um, I don't know. It's, it's really fascinating though. I, I think one thing that was, that you said about Robbie that was interesting too: all the players paying tribute to Iverson when he retired um was really fascinating it was also really fascinating to see nike kind of dip their toes into that water and create the the zoom flight 96 with with alan iverson's you know philly colors and his number on the back because you know i think i think they know that was the one athlete that you know might have gotten away or or you know might have um actually gave them legitimate competition because since iverson there's very few athletes that have been to the level of Nike athletes. Right. And if it was, it was, you know, it was not a sustained thing the way Iverson's was, at least in my opinion, might just be fanboying out right now, but that's my thought. No, I mean, okay. So T
2: Mac for a minute, Derek Rose for a minute outside of that. I mean, Grant Hill for a minute. There's there's not really a a lot of competition there to speak of.
0: Yeah. And I would say like, you know, with Iverson, you also had like the, the on-court off-court play, right. Where a lot of the other players never really got that. Right. And not to say that Iverson's off-court stuff was that, you know, genius or anything like they basically just recreated white on white air force ones. But off the clock stuff for him was, was still selling and people were still buying it. You would still see people wearing it. And I think like, I, I I'm a big Tracy McGrady fan. I'm a big D Rose fan. And they just didn't quite have to that level. Kind of like you said, with Grant Hill It was very short lived for Grant Hill, unfortunately, because of his injuries. I think even with T-Mac, like people were into the shoes, but, and, and, you know, a lot of people really love his logo. Same with D Rose, right? Like it didn't didn't have that holding power, staying power that I think Iverson had where Nike would have to think, okay, like, you know, you think of like how successful, you know, the kind of first four or five, you know, signature models for Iverson were with anybody else, you were kind of beyond that, you know, at like two or three and, you know, yeah, you could argue that they went on discount, but everything went on discount back then, you know, like. Every every you know Nike basketball shoe or, or Jordan shoe eventually went on discount. It seems like so I think that you know the our memories are a little um, a little twisted because we glorify certain things as sneakerheads, mm-hmm. and you know I do it too. I think we all do it, but I think the reality is like the competition between those two brands and all the brands throughout the years is always what pushes everybody to go further and do better and you know jerry L- lorenzo taking kind of the you know i guess the reins in this conversation for this shoe this weekend is potentially going to open up new opportunities to do that because i think like one of his comments on his instagram post was um you know alan iverson's uh you know georgetown jersey potentially being equally as iconic as Jordan 11s. And at that time, I would have chose, I would have chose the Jersey if I could have got it, you know, like I I didn't have the money for either at that time, but like, you know, I think there would, there would be a valid argument to like, you know, what, what you were going to choose if you were buying the Jordan 11s or Iverson's jerseys, or even the, the, the Georgetown shorts, man, those are fire too. (laughs) everything was
2: yeah yeah but he made it cool i'm like in a vacuum yeah gray and navy is cool but what iverson did to just make everything just so cool
0: well and he made everything hip-hop right it was like everything else was you know it's nothing against like michael jordan but like you, you knew that Michael Jordan wasn't listening to hip hop, <laughs> you know, like it, you didn't even have to know him to know that. Like he came across as a very polished, you know, like, you know, fairly well off dude. And Iverson was like the guy that we all wanted to be, or we all hung out with and we all knew. And that he was closer to the reality for us, I think. And that was at least for me. Um, but I think one of the things that's really interesting about, this storyline and i hope to see more of this in the future is that jerry lorenzo taking gary land and bringing him back in to shoot these photos for him and connecting those two eras through the photographer is something that's you know a hundred percent on point you know we try to shout out any photographers we know the photos um came from on instagram and sometimes it's just hard to find who shot the photos because those guys don't get enough credit. And I think like, you know, looking at like, um, you know, this recent uh, LeBron photo, right. The reverse dunk from was it Andrew Bernstein you said, right. Yeah. Those are the types of things that like, they're so powerful, you know, like how, how, like how we remember sneakers and basketball specifically is yeah, there are memes and there are, you know, videos now, but those photos are really what's going to be the thing that, that carries these stories. And if, if those guys that have been taking those photos for years can be brought in to recreate some of the, I think of like Walter Ios, um, who shot a lot of the, the MJ stuff in the, you know, late eighties, early nineties, those are kind of the, the iconic photos, the Gatorade commercial photos and those kind of things where if you could bring him in to tell new stories, that's like, to me, the next evolution of marketing in footwear for at least these stories that are connected to basketball. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Those pictures are, I, I was telling you guys before we started that I need to do more research on it because I always love like looking at the pictures because it's something different about you. I mean, of course you want to watch them in live play and it's really cool to see it. But when these photographers get out there and take these pictures, they add a whole new depth to them because they're able to you know, put the color a little bit, make it a little darker, make it more cinematic. And these are just fantastic photos. I would love to just get my hands on a bunch of them.
2: Nick, I think you brought up a good point of like, it being hard to shout out photographers even if you want to because some of the photos have just been passed around so much that like the it's like a game of telephone who has the original but besides that so many good people do work for like I mean, let's use the obvious finish line and have you know you do you want to correct do you want to like shout out finish line? Not so much. Uh, unless you guys want to sponsor us, then we're more than welcome to. Uh, Outside out of that, I mean, like, we're fortunate to know that Chris took a lot, Chris Elliott took a lot of those photos. Um, so, like, we can tag him because we just happen to know him and, you know, there's, there's he's a friend, so it's like, it's, it's easy. But um, so many stock photos from, like, bigger brands and even sports teams you know, you're the, you're the photographer for the heat. You're not the photographer
0: you, you know, you you made a great point. We pass these photos around so much now, you know, I mean, by the time a photo gets in front of me, it's probably a thousand people removed from wherever it originated because nobody actually credits the photographer. You could look at, and this is not picking on anybody, but you could look at you know, BR kicks or soul collector or slam kicks and almost none of them credit the photographer because they're probably paying to be for those people to take pictures for them. So, or maybe they use the NBA's photos, NBA kicks. And of course the NBA is paying somebody for those photos. They're not going to say taken by this person. And to your point about finish line, right. You know, Chris took a lot of those pictures while working for finish line and you know, like, there's an argument to both sides. Like you want, you know, I think there's more value in having individuals represent your company publicly. Um, but you know, it's also tr- kind of, uh, it's kind of outside the box thinking if you, if you are thinking that way as a big business, right? Because big businesses, you know, they look at the numbers at the end of the day and say, we need this many photographers we need this many pictures we need this much engagement on social we need blah 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 blah. and here's our revenue at the end of the year they're not thinking hey we've got this like kind of up and coming photographer we need to elevate him and have him associated with our brand now i would argue that you know there's a lot of people that are really talented with the camera um, that probably did a lot of work for a lot of these brands that as they get more and more successful in their careers i think these brands and these you know retailers are going to wish that they actually you know maintain better relationships with those people because you're literally gonna you're gonna go back to these photos and revisit these moments because that's the nature of the internet right like we rehash and re- retell stories on a regular basis and i think you know it's inevitable that these types of people get more credit. Um, it's just going to be, you know, who, what, what brands and what companies are willing to like kind of share that credit. Right. Because at the end of the day, photography is one of those, anything creative, but photography specifically is is one of those things where in order to do what you love, you, typically need to find somebody that has money to pay for you to do that. And usually it's a bigger business than an individual photographer and there's a give and take in in how they approach that. Um, I will say that I would really love to know as we're talking about photographers, um, you know, like one, what is for you guys, what is your kind of, what would you say is like your m- most iconic photo? What's the photo that comes to mind? And two, are there people out there that we should be looking at as far as photographers that we can reshare on the sneaker history platform, or maybe even get on the podcast to talk about what they're doing? Because I love to kind of elevate those people. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure we'll reach out to Chris at some point soon. Cause it, like we obviously all know him fairly well. Um, my, my friend Griffin, um, Griffin33, I think, on Instagram. Vince Rico Oscar from Modern Notoriety. There's a lot of guys that are taking really good photos. Um, Grant, SC Knows. I would love to find more of these people and figure out a way to help them grow their audience. And, you know, maybe we can do something that that, you know, whether that's an in-person event or just something through our, our channels to showcase what these people do so that people do remember that these are the guys behind, or, you know, guys, girls, whomever, people behind these photos um, that, uh, you know, so these memories can be tied to those individuals. I think, uh, as I said that another one is, is Ravy ravi B on, on Twitter or Instagram, you know, takes a lot of tour photos in the hip hop world and has done some, you know, amazing stuff over the years. Those are the people that I think, I'd love to bring somehow into, or or at least just elevate. I'm kind of rambling, but um, going back to the question, what what's like the what's like if you think of like the iconic, either sneaker or or basketball, football, sports, whatever. What's that iconic photo that comes to mind for you guys?
1: Yeah, I got a I got a couple of them. I mean, of course, first one that pops into mind, basketball is going to be. Um, what you guys are probably thinking the same one uh, is going to be the D Wade to LeBron alley That's just a uh, the perfect timing and just a perfect pitcher Then you also have the picture of AI stepping over Tyloo, and then I think probably the last one is the uh, I have is the uh, Vince Carter dunking over I, I can't remember his name, but the the French basketball player in the USA uh, versus Fr- uh, France game in the Olympics uh those are probably my three most iconic basketball photos uh sneaker photos i mean first time you saw you saw Kanye wearing an ultra boost that in in this concert when he's like in mid jump in that foggy yellow like background that's just a pretty like whoever took that picture that's such a solid picture and i think that's one of the ones that will live on in like concert picture and sneaker picture like history
2: yeah um i mean my pick for photographer wise Is going to be, you know, Cassie Athena, not really an underdog in the game. She's everywhere. But um, just gets all of the. I mean, it's. It would be B roll, but it's A plus role. There's like the behind the scenes stuff and the intimate moments, along with like the dunks and the crossovers and like the portrait style stuff and like the, in the tunnel stuff, but everything else is just so it's, it's, it's original. It's like Russell Westbrook just hanging out. It's Paul George hanging out. It's Bronnie. It's all these various people in basketball just in a way that makes them feel really personable. And I love that about her work. But, um, When it comes to dunks, I mean, it's funny because I I honestly start thinking dunks when like best photos, um, the Kobe on Dwight Howard, teabagging Dwight and the two K fours all black. That's, that's probably my favorite of favorites. Um, man, just like magic on the fast break. Um, although they're just the coolest photos, um, but my favorite basketball, like not basketball, basketball photo. And it definitely falls underneath the category of passed around a lot. So I don't know who took it at all. And I bet you most people don't. Um, it's the J.R. Smith and Allen Iverson playing pool in their Denver Nuggets uniforms before a game. I love that photo. because You know there was alcohol in there and they just didn't get it in the photo. Like You, you know they were having fun before the game. And it's like, yeah, I, I just love that kind of, yeah, this intimate moments, right? Just um, candid moments. But uh, that's like the that's like the definition of like the Allen Iverson. I don't give a fuck. I'm just gonna go hoop mentality. <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna hang out and play pool. And it looks like a strip club. Um, I don't think they are in a strip club, but like there's glass mirrors everywhere, and it's like it's so tacky looking. But it's just so Iverson and Jr. Like, yeah, I, I love Jr. Smith too. I'm a big Jr. Smith fan. So it's just um, you know two of my favorites in uh, do, doing the the bad stuff. That's not really all that bad. I mean, when you think about it, half the stuff Iverson got grilled for is not all that bad, if not not bad at all. So but, yeah, th- those are mine. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think for me, like I mentioned, Walter Ios, uh, you know, the Jordan free throw line dunk, uh, that's, that's like the pinnacle of, of photography for me. It's like one of my favorite shoes, one of the most important moments, like, you know, just captured something that I, you know, would not have, have, you know, it was, it was amazing watching it. Like I remember watching that as a kid, but you know, to like from, you know, uh, like flight club Michael Jordan's Flight Club stuff, you know, the Wheaties boxes to, you know, um, I mean, retro cars in the in the late 90s and early 2000s. Like there was just so many, so many times where that picture was just like so important. Um, and it really just made you made me think like, man, this guy is really flying, you know, like. I don't think like any other um, photo can can compare to that in a sense because it really like helped m- me. It just inspired me so much. Um, there's an- another I think like the early Allen Iverson like Sixers photos. There's a picture of him. Um, I mean, I obviously love like the you know the crossover on MJ, but like there's a there's a photo I think. Um, it's got to be like 96 or 97 because he's wearing red, uh, red toe questions. But it was shot by Al Thielman. It was in a Sports Illustrated article when I was like just out of high school, I think. And it's it's Allen Iverson dunking on Judd Bushler. And that photo to me is like, it, it was just so crazy because it just shows like how tiny Iverson is, how high he's getting up. And Judd Bushler's like standing kind of falling backwards with his with his you know, he's trying to draw the charge. But Iverson is literally like, you know, his chest is at at Judd's like fingertips, right? And I don't I don't know how tall Judd Bushler is, but he's gotta be six eight, six ten, something like that. And I just remember seeing it in Sports Illustrated and remember thinking like this is like the closest I can relate to kind of like the David and Goliath story of like, this is like the underdog of all underdogs coming to the league and dunking on these, you know, massive big men or crossing over, you know, Michael Jordan, the greatest player of all time, all these conversations that are in your head where you're just like, for me, I was, you know, Iverson obviously was important, but like seeing a photo like that, it was like something about that I could relate to where it's like, I might not be able to, I might not come from the best background or be able to compete on the highest and highest of levels in any particular sport. But once in a while I might get you. And that was kind of like what I saw in all those photos, but that one in particular of him dunking on Judd Bushler, which I'll, I'll try to find it. And, um, I think it's Al Thielman. He was, he shot a lot of the Iverson stuff earlier years. Um, but obviously Gary Land, I have that book. If you if you want a great coffee table book, the Gary Land Allen Iverson photo book is phenomenal.
1: That's a good cool picture. I just looked it up. Man, that is a that's an awesome picture.
0: You're right. It's it's just I mean, he's he looks so tiny, but he's so freaking high, you know? Um yeah, it's just wild. But um I don't know. I, I think, you know, I'd love to hear from everybody what, what they've got, you know, what the, what their favorite photos are and let us know. Hit us up on Instagram or Twitter, Facebook, wherever you want to connect with us. If you have any photographers that we should be watching, um, definitely tag them. We'll We'll throw a post up tomorrow or whenever this goes live and let us know who the photographers are that we should be looking at. Both like the sneaker photography and you know lifestyle stuff, right? Because I think there's, I think there's a lot of people that are taking sneaker photos that are really, really creative that kind of are getting overlooked because they focus on something that they love, and and I think that's a uh, that's a good place for us to be able to help elevate some of those people. So, so uh, I, I realized that we forgot to do uh, rockin' and copping. So. Uh, what are you guys? What are you guys rocking today or, or this weekend? What was on your feet?
1: Uh, I was rocking my 2011 black cement threes, copping. I mean, there's. I don't know what I'm doing right now. <laughs> uh, I think I'm probably gonna try to put a, try to put a focus probably close on the uh, All Star game, uh, LeBron sevens if possible. Um, and probably his secondary is going to be one of the, the D rows, uh, D rows, one retros. But other than that, man, I, I need some help. I, I need some. I need some insight to what's going on with these releases uh, in Chicago. What about you, Robbie?
2: Man, um, I am all over those LeBron sevens, like white on rice. Uh, I tried to get them. Foot Locker had them this weekend, releasing. So I tried to get them Saturday, but. Those sold out really fast, and I was pretty sad. But um, yeah, I'm just really looking, looking to get those. And rocking wise, I've worn those blue Air Max Nineties almost every day since I've had them. So I'm obsessed with wearing those, and that's what I'm wearing. But uh, LeBron Sevens for
0: sure. I'm not as I, I'm not not into the LeBron Sevens, but I'm actually really into those Fear of Gods. Um, I think the story, the Iverson story has got me, got me hooked, but, um, that, that would be my, my cop. If, uh, if I had to choose one, obviously there's a lot of good stuff coming out. Um, for me, like I wore some, uh, old Reeboks today, the 3D, 3D dash. Um, I'll throw I'll throw a picture up on my Twitter. If you want to check it out, it's just an old, like. Kind of DMX ten DMX run ten era bright ass yellow shoe, but um, yeah, that's about it. So thank you all for taking the time to rock with us. Listen, if you do have a moment, we would greatly appreciate if you could leave us a review on iTunes. If you're looking for more content from us, um, first be sure to check out our last our last podcast. Um, Robbie and Roe kind of took on a, a new approach, to a little more uh, basketball focused episode which i thought turned out really great so make sure you listen to that give us some feedback if you want us to do more of that we would love to be able to to figure out a way to incorporate maybe one of those a week or something like that and um otherwise uh guys let them know how they can find everybody
1: yeah for sure uh you guys can find me mike guillory here on sneaker history find me on instagram and twitter at madwatcher 789 and of course the new youtube channel uh, again at mike guillory I just dropped a new video today so let me know what you guys think. Robbie, where can we find you sir?
2: You can find me at R A H B E E 702. and yeah, check out the sports episode and thank you all for listening and hanging out.
0: Right on. we appreciate all of you and we'll catch you next time. Peace.
2: See you. Have a good night, bye or good day. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hey everyone, this is Nick again. Before you take off, I wanted to ask a couple favors of you. If you're interested in more content from the Sneaker History crew, become a member of our Patreon page, where we post daily content, drop exclusive episodes, and host monthly giveaways. We'll even help you hunt for your grails. Check us out at patreon.com slash sneakerhistory. Also, make sure you sign up for our email newsletter at sneakerhistory.com slash email. We send out weekly updates on the footwear business and what we're working on here at Sneaker History. Last but not least, take a second to tell someone you like their kicks today. You never know how much it means to someone, and it might even plant the seeds for something even bigger. As always, we appreciate you, and we'll catch you next time. Peace. Hey, hey, Nick here again. Before you take off, I want to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History Podcast. Be sure to hop into our Discord to answer this episode's The Last Shot question.